Slavery is back. Welcome to a place where private business profit from a captive labour force, yet pennies are spent on medical services to a population in which the Indigenous, the poor and the mentally ill are overrepresented. Where isolation, humiliation and degradation are facts of life. Welcome to prison. It depends who's telling the story, I suppose. The prisoners would have one view. The people who work in the prison system would have another. And I think it's up to people to decide uh, you know, where, where the truth is. Give government propaganda and the media spin doctors the flick. And check out Doin' Time for news, views and tunes on prison issues from Guantanamo Bay to Christmas Island to prisons and detention centres everywhere. Every Monday at 4pm on your community radio, 3CR. We are still fired up and we're still talking about revolution. Hello and welcome to the Doing Time Show. This is 3CR Community Radio, 855am on the dial, streaming live on www.3cr.org.au. This is Marissa and I'll be taking this through until 5 o'clock this evening. Just wanted to give a special shout out to everybody all over Australia in regards to the pandemic and also in particular to Victoria and New South Wales who are um, undergoing hard lockdown and stage four restrictions. It's approximately 4.01 and first up on the show we're going to be speaking with Chris Breen from the Refugee Action Collective and we'll be speaking with him about the Medivac refugees who have restarted hunger strike protest and also looking at the anniversary of the, the offshore detention. And of course, we need to also understand that this show is about the lived experience of not only prisoners but also asylum seekers and refugees. And, uh, and refugees are experiencing the even worse conditions in regards to, to the pandemic as well. And then after that, we'll be speaking with Marianne McKay, Marianne McKay, who is an amazing female activist, First Nations woman from WA, and we'll be yarning with her about youth detention in the NT and also perhaps asking about NAIDOT Week and asking her to give a little bit of a report back about what's happened there. So shortly we'll be speaking with Chris, but before we do, just wanted to give a little bit of an introduction in regards to what's going on. So basically a group of Medivac refugees at MITRE, Melbourne Immigration Transit Accommodation, have restarted their hunger strike protest to demand their release from detention. And it's understood that up to 12 refugees are refusing food since Thursday the 15th of July. So we'll be speaking to Chris about that. The protest comes less than two weeks since they ended the 15 days long hunger strike on 3rd July. And Monday the 19th of July, which is today, marks the beginning of the ninth year of offshore detention, um, begun by the Rudd Labor government in 2013. And it marks the beginning of the ninth year of detention of the Medivac refugees still held in detention centres and hotels in Australia. And I've actually taken the liberty to read out quotes from a media release that was compiled by the Refugee Action Coalition. Hello, Chris. Welcome to the program. 
More than 70 innocent refugees are still being indefinitely detained in detention centres and secure hotels around Australia. Over recent months, many fellow detainees have been released onto bridging visas. Those remaining are desperate to know why they are still held. It is indefinite, it is cruel and it is unlawful. Every day a group of supporters protest this brutality outside the Park Hotel at 701 Swanson Street, Melbourne, where 11 men remain trapped and whose hopes are fading and whose mental health is declining. The aim of the protests is to raise awareness of the situation for the general public, but also to show support and solidarity to the men inside. It is also for the approximately 200 refugees still held offshore. Please come along any weeknight at 6pm or weekend at 3pm. And you're back with the Doing Time show. I'm actually doing the, ho the show from home and, yeah, so it's just interesting. The format does change a little bit. Uh, hello, Chris. Welcome to the program. Thanks for having me on. It's lovely to have you. Now, Chris, I'm wondering if you could just talk about the background to what's happening with the Medivac refugees. Apparently, they've restarted their, their protest in the hunger strike. Is that correct? Uh, yes, they have restarted their hunger strike. Uh, there was previously uh, 14, actually 15 refugees who were on hunger strike for 15 days. Um, one of those who was not a Medivac uh, refugee has since been released. He came by plane, had a slightly different story, but that's a you know a great thing. Sure. Um, the other uh, and one of those hunger strikers is still in the Northern Hospital and has been not well enough to leave there um, uh, since the hunger strike. Um, so they ended it, um, you know, the concerns for their health. They've restarted it because nothing has changed. Um, it's it's a protest. There's also, I think, elements of resignation syndrome, like we saw with children and the families on Nauru, that people feel that they just can't go on. They can't keep doing the same thing. You know, I, mean, I think we all know how the yo-yo lockdowns have affected us. And we're in the middle of, you know, uh, in, in Melbourne, just a five-day lockdown. Looks like it'll be extended. These are refugees who've done nothing wrong, who've came seeking our help, who've been locked down. It's the beginning of their ninth year now. And that breaks people. It was designed to break people. I mean, if you, if you want the, the background, it goes back to... Um, 2013, when uh, Kevin Rudd, uh, Labor uh, Prime Minister, announced that uh, no refugee uh, who came by boat, uh, who was on, you know, who'd been sent to uh, Nauru and Papua New Guinea, would ever be resettled um, in Australia, and that you know really began a dark chapter that the the Liberals have extended um, further. I mean, I guess despite that announcement, there have been people who are effectively resettled here. So we've had the children and families come off. Uh, we've had half of the Medivac uh, refugees uh, released into the community, you know, albeit on bridging visas without access to welfare. Um, but they are free. And though the remaining uh, Medivac refugees and some people who came separately, is about 100, are saying, what's the difference with us? There's still been no explanation from the government 
uh, as to why half of them have been released and half are still in, in detention, what's the difference? Um, and so the hunger strike is demanding freedom. It's saying eight years is enough, we can't do another ninth year. Absolutely. And in fact, we did an interview Ian Rintel about this um, during the first hunger strike. Just in regards to the Northern Hospital, what has the treatment been like from, from what you've you've seen in regards to the asylum seekers with the refugees there? Um, I don't know very much about the treatment. I mean, once refugees are taken there, they're rehydrated. Um, that very probably involves a, a glucose strip as well. Um, there was one refugee who was taken there and they said there was no bed for him, um, had to you know stay on the floor there. Um, I've also been told that the refugees there have had uh, guards on the door um, who, you know, I've, I've also been told at second hand, made, um, you know, derogatory comments about the refugees to hospital staff. Um, but they, they shouldn't be there. They shouldn't have to be on hunger strike. Nobody should be in prison for eight, nine years. That's more than some people get for rape or murder. And these these are, these are people who had who simply fled, um, uh, you know, situations for their lives, um, and Australia has punished them again. It's it's hard to put into words the the brutality, the ugliness of what has been done uh, to these refugees. Isn't there a duty of care? Uh, there is a, a duty of care, and there's been uh, constant uh, legal attempts. Uh, to you know, to deal with some of those kinds of things. I mean, certainly on uh, Manus, uh, there was a you know a compensation uh, case which which won over there, um, which found their detention was unlawful, but it still has not led to um, you know release of people here. Uh, what happens is the government keeps trying to, to change uh, the laws and close what they see as loopholes. Um, I mean, most recently, the High Court found in the ALJ20 case uh, that even if the government was not holding refugees for the temporary purpose of their transfer or they're not getting the medical treatment they're needed or making any arrangements to do anything with them, their ongoing detention is still lawful. So, you know, cementing that indefinite detention is uh, lawful. Uh, there should be a duty of care, but the reality is there's been, I think it's 13 people have died um, offshore. Uh, you know, Hamid Kazai from a cut foot, Reza Barati, who was murdered by the people supposed to uh, protect him. Uh, there have been, you know, suicides. Uh, you know, one man on the roof set himself on fire. The, the litany of um, horrors, just, you know, it, it doesn't stop. Um, very often people haven't. They've been they've brought here for medical treatment under the Medivac uh, legislation, which is now scrapped, uh, but partly out of, you know, the, the pettiness and spite and the politics. Uh, the coalition has delayed medical treatment. People wait, you know, months to see counsellors for mental health issues. You know, people have had shrapnel in their head and shoulders and not had it removed. They've, you know, people have been told that they can't get their teeth fixed. They have to have them all out. There's, you know, it, it goes on. And these are all ages, aren't they? Like, they, these aren't just people that are 70 and 80. These are people... Yes, yeah, these, these are all ages. I mean, there, there are people, certainly, who came here as minors. 
um, 16, 17, uh, who are now, you know, uh, 24, um, who've spent, you know, more than a quarter of their life in detention. Um, and there are, yes, there are older people too um, in their 60s. There are, yeah. Actually, in 2019, just before the pandemic, I was about once a week at one stage, I was having a studio full of refugees, different young people that used to talk about the lived experience. And it's so important to do that, isn't it? Uh, it, it is. And, I mean, the, you know, the, the hunger strike is, is putting their protest um, <laughs> front and centre of, of, you know, of, of the cry to, to end the eight years of um, torture and the indefinite detention is torture. Uh, RAC had a, a, a protest we were going to do today. We've had to reschedule it because... Um, of the threat of fines with the, the, the lockdown, but we will keep on protesting. Um, the, the High Court decision, the, the recent rush through the change to the, the Migration Act, which also um, makes indefinite detention illegal, just means that protest, uh, when there's no justice in the courts, there's no justice in Parliament, is what we're going to continue to need to, to free the refugees. How on earth can detention be legal? indefinite detention. How can that How can that happen? Uh, Parliament votes for it. Uh, the High Court <laughs> rubber stamps it. Um, I mean, it, it comes down to the politics. Uh, the coalition government has invested so much um, in kicking refugees, and particularly, you know, when they're, they're struggling with everything else, they can't get the vaccines right, they can't get, you know, um, you know payments for people who've been kicked out of work or not getting work because of lockdown, um, you know, it, it, it helps to have um, people pointing fingers elsewhere. Uh, we see that same border politics. They try it again and again. You know, it's, you know we're not, they're not having people coming in from India. Um, the, but refugees, they have... It's, it's um, part of their, the coalition's political DNA... And sadly, uh, you know, Labor either agrees with them or very rarely challenges them. I mean, the one little glimpse of light, um, it, um, uh, Josh Burns and Jed Carney did move in Parliament a motion calling for the Medivac refugees all to be released into the community. And that is certainly a step forward from Labor and, uh, you know, more of, of, of what we really need to see. Fantastic. And despite government announcements in February that it was government policy to release the Medivac refugees, um, Karen Andrews has refused to say why releases have stalled or given... Uh, no, 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 it's, it's never been government policy to release the Medivac refugees. No, I don't um, think so. Yeah, no, no. What what happened was uh, that it seems it seems like this is uh, you know speculation that being confirmed by the government that there was a, a legal loophole. So people who yeah. had come here for medical treatment, or often not getting that treatment, uh, requested to be sent back to Papua New Guinea or Nauru because they said at least in Papua New Guinea we can walk around. We're not stuck in yeah. you know detention hotels. Uh, the government has no agreement to send people back, and so it wasn't sending um, uh, people back. And so they had court cases uh, arguing that habeas corpus, their detention was unlawful. 
before there was a court decision, which may well have found that detention was unlawful, which would have been politically explosive, uh, they were let out and uh, released into the community. Um, since the changes to the Migration Act and the High Court decision, even though they don't directly affect the cases, they effectively close, you know, mean that the, the, the people, the rest won't get out in that way. What the Peter Dutton has said publicly is that people were released because it's cheaper to have people in the community in detention, which is true, something refugee advocates have argued for decades, uh, but it's also true for those people, 100, who are remaining. And it's also true that the human cost uh, would be far less. You know, people could begin to heal uh, if they were freed. I mean, there's a lot more than just being freed that they need at this point, but that's that's the first thing. Absolutely. And finally, Chris, could, could you comment on the ninth year of offshore detention? I suppose what I, what I want to get at here, prior to offshore detention, I mean, it's always good to look back over history briefly. Mm. How was it here in Australia for refugees? Um, it depends how far you go back. Um, it was uh, Paul Keating who introduced uh, mandatory detention um, to be over 30 years ago now. Uh, before that, um, you know, places like uh, Broadmeadows Detention Centre and Villa would exist, but they were essentially open centres. Uh, so people were protests, processed there and, you know, certain conditions, they were free to come and go and they had work rights and other things. Um, and the, I mean, the first step in that history was um, mandatory detention. I mean, that sort of passed almost unnoticed. It wasn't a polit big political fuss at the time. It was essentially that there were Cambodian people from Cambodia coming here by boat, and this was an embarrassment to Gareth Evans and his peace process. He was a Labor minister at the time. And so they moved to detain them. Initially, there was um, limits on detention because it was 90 days or 270 days. They soon went and the coalition discovered the politics of kicking refugees. Um, you know, they did polling in places like caravan parks and found that people were, you know, more concerned about refugees and other things, and they ran with it, and they ran hard with it. And there was the Tampa, which was one of the key turning points. And I think again and again, Labor has backed down to these things, and we could have had a, a very different story if they had have stood their ground. Um, and so, you know, now we're in a position where it's not only um, offshore detention, but we've recently seen uh, the UN Special Rapporteur on Human Rights uh, estimate that Australia has turned back 800 asylum seekers on 38 boats since 2013. Uh, that was something that Liberals, you know, went further with every time Labor opens the door. Uh, they, they do. Um, and we're seeing globally the spread of such um, ugly policies. So in June, Denmark passed a law uh, letting uh, it process asylum seekers in Rwanda. Um, the United Kingdom in the last month um, has shown an interest in teaming up with Denmark to do the same thing, uh, to, you know, to just like Australia, to uh, put um, refugees into torture centres out of sight and out of mind. And it's something that we need to stop here and it's something that we need to stop globally.
absolutely. Well, we can't really have anything at the moment, can we? The protests are out of the question for the moment, aren't they? I mean, as in on the ground, that is. Uh, yes. Lockdown. I mean, the, the, the... You know, there's never been a case of COVID from protests, and I think protests can be done safely with social distancing. Yep. Uh, but, you know, the, we face big fines, and so, the, you know, uh, there, there will be protests again as soon as the hard uh, lockdown uh, ends, and, you know, we will we will do that... Uh, safely, we're only too well aware of the threat of COVID-19 to refugees who are stuck in places where they have no control over their, you know, their own health and safety. Um, and protest is essential. Absolutely. Well, let's give a shout out to the the Medivac um, refugees. Uh, well, and I think you were saying there was one that wasn't under Medivac, wasn't it? As well. Yeah, he's he's been released now. I mean, if I could just plug a couple of upcoming sure. events. The, the the rally today and the rally probably this Sunday are going to be rescheduled. We don't have two new dates yet, but we do have a forum uh, that will take place, um, whether it's online or in person, um, on Monday, August the 2nd, um, on indefinite detention for refugees and what the new law means. So that's the changes to the Migration Act and the High Court case. And we've got... Um, David Burke, who's the legal director of the Human Rights Law Centre, and uh, Bali, who's one of the indefinitely detained refugees in Mitre, um, who's been one of the hunger strikers who will be speaking. Uh, so you can find that on RAC Facebook or our website and encourage people to come along and find out how they can help us build the you know refugee movement. OK. Are you there? Yes, I am. Thank you so much for coming onto the program, Chris. Do you have any final comments? Uh, RAC is always looking for, you know, people to get involved. We've got a meeting this evening um, via Zoom. Uh, again, you can find that link on our Facebook. Uh, if you just search Refugee Action Collective uh, Facebook at 6.30 tonight, uh, we need more people to, to, to build a movement that is big enough and strong enough to force our politicians to act. And also, for listeners, not to forget that the Medivac legislation was in and it was voted out, wasn't it? Uh, yes. I mean, I think the you know the, the Medivac legislation is one of the gains of the refugee movement. And again, That's we've right. been strong enough to sort of to, to, to get partial things, but never to fully deal with um, uh, the horrors of offshore processing. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Chris. Keep up the good work. Thanks for having me on. Take care. Okay, bye. There are many ways that you can keep up to date with 3CR news, events and programs. With Facebook stripping content, it's a timely reminder to focus on the communication channels and platforms that the community controls. The 3CR website is a great spot to catch all your shows via audio on demand or scroll through our range of podcasts. It's also where you can sign up to our monthly newsletter, buy yourself a new T-shirt, or check out archival audio from past broadcasts. Of course, we're also on Twitter, at 3CR, and Instagram, at 3CR Melbourne. But don't forget our mighty AM band. Catch us anytime on 855AM. Keep in touch, 3cr.org.au.
independent and peaceful Australian network, IPAN, has launched a national people's inquiry into the costs and consequences of Australia's involvement in the US-led wars, the US alliance and its alternatives. The inquiry aims to promote a national conversation and is currently inviting submissions from organisations and individuals. The great majority of Australians have never been asked about this alliance, its implications and its limitations, which has led to an uncritical foreign policy. It's time this changed. To make a submission, go to independentpeacefulaustralia.com.au. That's independentpeacefulaustralia.com.au. Submissions close on the 31st of July. IPAN is a 3CR supporter. So this is in the middle of the pandemic where this billionaire is suing the Pentagon for a military contract for what most people think is the place that you order books from. It's a very interesting case study in pulling out the different threads of militarism and how it can really be embedded in so many aspects of our lives that we don't even realize that when we order something from Amazon that we're putting workers' lives at risk and that we're supporting what is becoming an increasingly important actor in the military industrial complex. Exposing that to people, I think, is very important. People will care if they understand that this is how things are all interconnected and linked. It's surfacing that information, it's making that accessible and making it relevant for people's lives. And I think that is another opportunity that COVID-19 really presents to us is that we are all connected and these structures are all connected. We can see that much more clearly now than we could before. We need to keep Radical Voices on air. Subscribe now. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 9419 The Melbourne Documentary Film Festival returns with a huge showcase of factual filmmaking. Highlights include Cry of the Forests, a look at WA's sacred southwest forests and the activists trying to protect them. Mental as Anything, a heartwarming story about what it's like to live with mental illness. The Price of Truth, a look at Julian Assange and WikiLeaks with never-before-seen interviews. And many more, July 21st to 31st at Cinema Nova, a 3CR supporter. The new Climate Action Radio Show will surprise you. Well, first of all, I'm not a believer in global warming. I'm not a believer in man-made global warming. Global warming. And so you'll hear voices from all around Australia and overseas that are taking all types of climate action, whether it's stopping coal and gas, whether it's building a new model of society, or whether it's just sustaining you in the grief you may feel about the climate destruction we're facing. And in that spirit, here's a poem by Rumi. Stop, take a breath, for you are drunk, and we are at the edge of the roof. This is coal. Don't be afraid. Don't be scared. It's coal. 
Tune in every Monday at 5pm to hear the Climate Action Radio Show. Armed states are talking big and spending up with no intention to disarm. The Treaty on the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons provides a pathway out of this mess, and it's up to us to get our government on board. Tune in to ICANN's Ban School to learn more and be part of History in the Making. It's five online sessions from June to September. Check it out and enrol at icanw.org.au forward slash bandschool. That's icanw.org.au forward slash bandschool. The international campaign to abolish nuclear weapons is a 3CR supporter. And for listeners that have just tuned in, this is the Do and Time show, 3CR Community Radio, and you just heard an interview with Chris Breen from the Refugee Action Collective. And pretty soon we'll be going to be speaking with Marianne McKay, First Nations woman from WA, who's done quite a lot of really great activist work. But before we do that, um, just giving out a special cheerio to Viv from the Climate Action Group, who show sorry, the Climate Action Show. And that was a great announcement um, before before that. It's approximately 4.33, and I'm just going to read out a very quick article which really caught my eye from the ABC News, and it's called In the Witness Box. It was supposed to be a regular teen birthday party. Instead, it led to a police investigation, two trials and an experience, an experience one ex- expert says, should shock our moral consciousness. And basically, this is about, and I warn you that this um, information could upset some people, um, Nadia Bark, who was raped at the party. And she didn't go to many high school parties, but she went to this birthday party and was raped. And there was a a terrible um, court case where there was a very, very biased judgment um, against women and it was a very, very difficult court case. If people want to check that out, look at um, ABC News. And I thought I'd, I'd just draw attention um, to listeners about this. And it just highlights a lot of the things that we do on the Do and Time show and a lot of the interviews that we do in regards to looking at violence against women. And it's terribly important that um, these things are highlighted and so pretty soon we're going to be speaking with Marion McKay, who is a First Nations woman from WA. And so we'll now go into a, a quick announcement. 3CR. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio 855 AM on digital and online. 3CR Radical Radio. 
More than 70 innocent refugees are still being indefinitely detained in detention centres and secure hotels around Australia. Over recent months, many fellow detainees have been released onto bridging visas. Those remaining are desperate to know why they are still held. It is indefinite, it is cruel and it is unlawful. Every day a group of supporters protest this brutality outside the Park Hotel at 701 Swanson Street, Melbourne, where 11 men remain trapped and whose hopes are fading and whose mental health is declining. The aim of the protests is to raise awareness of the situation for the general public, but also to show support and solidarity to the men inside. It is also for the approximately 200 refugees still held offshore. Please come along any weeknight at 6pm or weekend at 3pm. And you're back with the Doing Time show. Hello, Marianne, it's Marissa. Hey, Claire, sis, how you going? Welcome to the program. It sounds like you're pretty busy there. Yeah, I am. I took a wrong turn and I'm supposed to be meeting up at, with my dad at some job site he's on oh. and giving him his boots and... I'm lost because I'm in, like, this flash area of Perth where there's, oh. like, little side streets everywhere. I won't keep you long. Yep. But, we, you, know, oh, I that's all right. <laughs> you know, I love having you on the show. But I just wanted to, to just have a quick yarn with you just in regards to what's happening with... I mean, I know you don't live in, in the Northern Territory, but, I mean, what do you think is going on with youth detention there? Um, well, all I know is, because I know I'm conscious that I'm a Noongar, you know, and I can't yes, really course. speak on, you know. No, no, no. Um, but generally speaking. But all I know is that, in general, um, that the Northern Territory Chief Minister and their mob up there have ignored the Royal Commission, um, you know, into the young people's detention up there, and they're basically bringing in more laws that are just going to see more of them kids locked up. Absolutely. You know, and, and they're ignoring the UN report, um, you know, about locking up kids as young as 10. So, you know, international standards, I believe, is 14 years old. Yeah. There, there's, look, there's so much going on, and I've had some trouble trying to get hold to get hold of someone, you know, in regards to speaking to that topic. But um, what's happening in WA with, with youth detention? Um, yeah, I'm glad you asked that because what's going on at the moment is we've got um, Levitt and Associates working with our deadly sister girl, Megan Cracker, you know, who's a deadly young, deadly Noongar advocate. Um, and so what they're doing at the moment is Megan's going around like down on the ground, visiting families right throughout Perth so that um, they can get applications together to sue the government over the treatment of our young people in Banksy Hill Detention Centre. Tell us a bit more about so, so what they're organising is a class action. So we've had a lot of ill treatment of young people, black and white. You know, there's no... Um, it's not about race. It's about the children that are being in detention in general. So we've had kids, you know, who are lacking in education programs and things like that, but also kids that have been abused um, and treated really badly. So the class action is about, um, you know... Getting, getting some kind of justice for these young people that have been treated. It's time to speak up, speak out and speak loud. 
From an idea born on a park bench outside Liberal Party headquarters, where hundreds of women told their stories of sexual violence. Introducing Feminist Fridays. Join our open speaking circle to tell your story any way you want. A poem, a speech or a dance. You can even yell it out in the direction of Parliament House because that's where we'll be, on the steps. Feminist Fridays, starting Friday the 30th of April at 12pm. Join us. It's time to unite, heal and take back our power. Feminist Fridays isn't just a protest. We are a non-hierarchical collective ready to destroy the patriarchy, starting with your voice. This event is taking place on stolen Wurundjeri land and voices of First Nations people are prioritised. Hosted by Loud, Angry and Not Sorry. A 3CR supporter. Kafiyas are Palestinian scarves and they're a symbol of support for justice for the Palestinian people. Buying one will support the last remaining factory in Hebron that makes kafiyas, and all proceeds from the sales support projects in Palestine, especially Gaza, as well as local solidarity organisations. From the traditional black and white kafiya to an array of modern designs, all scarves are just $30 each. Explore the range and order online. Wear your support for the rights of Palestinians. Go to kafiyas.org.au. That's K-U-F-I-Y-A-S.org.au. A 3CR supporter. back with the Doing Time Show. Marianne, it's Marissa. Thank oh, you. sorry, sis. I think these big hoop earrings, you know that I always got on and hung the phone up. <laughs> wow. Something's <laughs> going on, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, no. Nah. So what was the last thing you heard me okay, say? So I, I don't know. We the class action and we were talking about what was going on in WA with youth in detention. Yeah, yeah. So um, basically what's been going on is there's been a call out for anyone in WA um, you know, any young people or any families that have had young people in, car- like, you know, institutionalised in Bankshire Hill to come forward. So it's not about black or, um, you know, like it's not just for our Noongar kids or Yamajis, Wongai kids, whatever. It's for any kids, black and white, that have been in there. Because there's been, you know, abusive treatment. There's been, you know, programs and things like that and visits, any any kind of ill treatment. And so the aim is to, um, you know, take a class action against the government to get some sort of justice for these young people, but also to force the government's hands, you know, to make drastic changes because our kids aren't little criminals. They're kids, you know, that need to be supported and, you know, their welfare should be the best interest, you know, of the state, not just locking them up and setting them up to fail so that they, you know, progress onto the adult prisons. It's really important, isn't it, to to be on country for these young people? Well, that's right. And we know that that's the best thing for these kids. So rather than them being put in a detention centre... Sorry, I'm just standing on the side of the road because I parked my car up, so there's a bit of traffic in the background. But, um, yeah, you know, so we know that the best thing for kids is being on country, whether they're Noongar kids, Wadjular kids, you know, non-Aboriginal kids, it shouldn't matter. You know, get out there. And what they should be organising is camps for these kids to take them. 
you know, take them out and stuff like that, not institutionalising them, which just further traumatises them. Because we know for a fact that you might have some some guards in there that, you know, do care about the kids, but these kids have suffered a lot of abuse and treatment in, in Bankshire Hill and they're not getting the support and the, the love and nurturing that they need as young people, you know, and their goals and dreams are just being practically chucked out of the window, you know, out the door and they're being um, set up to, you know, for a long-term future in adult prison rather than having jobs and, you know, like skills, being upskilled and given an education so that they can progress into the world, you know, like fulfilling their dreams like any other young person that doesn't face trauma, you know? So the Royal Commission, just so that we can clarify this, that didn't, did that cover the whole of Australia? No, that was only um, the Royal Commission into the treatment of the kids in Dondale Detention Centre. That's all? Yeah. But, so but they should, you know... They should do it for the whole of Australia. Yeah, yep. But then, you know, we look at the Royal Commission into Aboriginal Deaths in Custody, sis, you know, and, yeah. you know, they, they, they do all these Royal Commissions, all these recommendations get put forward, and hardly any of them are implemented. I know. It's so it's just a, a further waste of taxpayers' money and our stolen money, you know, when they could be just putting it into programs that are designed by the community for the community because the ones on the ground know the issues that we face every day and are the best ones and the most experienced to develop these programs. Like, we're sick of these people sitting at the top levels who never even walk on the ground, wouldn't even go into any of our people's houses to know firsthand what issues our people are facing. And you've got all these black academics out there that write these reports and put all these recommendations forward. And when was the last time they actually went into a person's house, you know, for a cuppa and sat down or sat by the fire and had a yarn with people or just walked around on the street? Like, me and Megan... Like, I um, had a break, you know, for about five days, went to a hotel, you know, went to the casino for a couple of nights and stuff. So me and Megan are out on the town enjoying ourselves, right? Yeah. But we're still working. So while we were at the casino two nights in a row, we were still advocating and still, you know, having our people come up and say, oh, this is what's going on, this is going on, we're facing these yeah. issues, you know, can you help us? We've had to de-escalate situations with the security at the casino because they have limited cultural awareness training and we're trying to, trying to intervene and we had to help a couple of young people who a non-Aboriginal boy had stolen their bag, so we had to quickly intervene. This is just one of the incidences that we dealt with. We had to quickly intervene so that we could calm these young women down, get a police report, ring the police because there was a theft, organise with the security to get the footage passed on to the police, and then organise an Uber for these young people to get home because their whole bag was taken, mm. plus have a charger in our phone in our bags just to charge their phone so they could lock their key card through their banking app and, you know, so these are the things that we face every time we go out as grassroots nyungas in our community. And because people know that we'll support them and help them work through issues, they come up to us wherever we are. And of this course. is what these black academics don't do. And these people in government, like, they don't face what we face every day, you know? That's right. And it... It's just, it really frustrates me, you know, because we love our people and we know what our people need and we're constantly ignored for these black academics that sit up there and, 
They're never on the ground. They wouldn't know what it's like to sit on the ground. You know, they're too busy sitting on chairs. You're talking about black people that are yes people, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes, that's why I call them black academics, you know? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, the yes yes people, the black academics that say yes, sir, no, sir, you know? Yeah. 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 There's a lot to say for that. Yeah. No, that's right, you know? And I know that I'm studying law to be a lawyer, you know, and Megan's the same, you know, like she'll eventually um, be in that space as well, you know, because she really works in that space. But, you know, like we need more of our grassroots people, you know, getting into these areas, into, you know, law and justice and things like that, and even politics, ones that aren't these yes people that are going to suck ass to government, ones that are going to actually stand up and still remember where they come from and still be able to put on their thongs and their trackies and sit down on the ground by the fire, but still have that education and that network to be able to force change. So You, you know, that's what we need. Yes, yes, walk in both worlds, you know. And that's what our people need. They don't need people going and getting an education or getting into these privileged positions and then forgetting where they come from to self-advance. Because it's okay for our people to be successful, but we've got to walk in both worlds and remember who we are, where we come from, and that our people are looking up to us to support them in a space that they don't know how to access, you know? That's exactly right. So... Can you give us just a little bit of a brief rundown about the class action and, and why it's happening? Sorry, what was that? My son just need to go to toilet. <laughs> just run I'll over to the bush over there, Johnny. You, you Johnny, give your dad his boots. Oh yeah, he needs his work boots. Yeah, like he'll oh, probably I'll... ring up there busting in a minute, and it's like, hey, calm down, old boy. <laughs> so, um, just very quickly, can you give us just a little bit of a brief rundown about the class action for, for youth? Yeah, so on um, Facebook, if people want more information, um, there's a Facebook page, um, the Banksia Hill. So if people just go on Facebook and just type in, you know, Banksia Hill or even my name, you know, and send me a message, um, or they can Google if they got the internet, Banksia Hill class action. Um, And so... um, all they've got to do is, you know, click on the links and stuff and get in touch with us. And Megan, because I'm not a part of the class action, I'm basically just supporting Megan, you know, the networking and that. So, and Megan will take their applications and then forward them on, forward them on to Stuart Levitt um, and so, the crew, the lawyers that are working on the case. So, sorry, Marianne. So, just, just a quick um, clarification here. So, when you say class action... So you mean this is this is for youth in detention? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, so it's for kids that have that have been locked up in detention um in Bankshire Hill. So and just you know, their stories about their treatment and stuff like that. So they're trying to get as many as they can, um, so that they can, you know, make the case bigger and stronger. Fantastic. To show that this isn't a one off thing, this is something that happens to all our young people. Indeed, it does. Yeah. Marianne, thank you so much for coming onto the program. Um, and it's really commendable that you've been able to get proper mobile reception in such a remote area of Western Australia. Yeah, well, you know, it's like, oh, my God. <laughs> this is what happened to Uncle last time, to, to your dad. We tried to get him... We were talking, and he said, oh, I can't do the interview because it's in a remote area. <laughs> oh, he's... Yeah, I know, but, you know, and he's... um. He's um, 
what's that word? Like, he, he's not techno-savvy either, you know? <laughs> he has, like, this big flash phone and doesn't even know how to use it. He, we did well. We had, we, I managed to do one interview with him about Rochester, about the island prison. Yeah, Rottnest Island. Yeah, wadge him up, we call it. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, yeah. thank you so much. No, that's all right. Thank you for having me, sis. Hey, and have a good week. You too. Okay, take care. <laughs> all right. Okay, Bye-bye. catch us. See ya. Bye-bye. You are listening to 3CR Community Radio on digital and online 3CR Radical Radio. Common Social Change Library is an online collection of educational resources for those campaigning for social change. It collects, curates and distributes the key lessons and resources of progressive movements around Australia and across the globe. The library includes over 500 resources covering campaign strategy, organising, activist history, digital campaigning, diversity and inclusion and much, much more. It's free to access the library, so check out the collection at www.commonslibrary.org. Common Social Change Library is a 3CR supporter. Online and nationwide, right across Australia from the 1st to the 31st of July and at Cinema Nova from the 21st to the 31st of July, Melbourne Documentary Film Festival's Documentary Month showcases the best local and international documentaries. Check out the incredible lineup at mdff.org.au, cinemanova.com.au and watch.eventive.org forward slash mdff and book your tickets and streams today. Melbourne Documentary Film Festival is a 3CR supporter. And you're back with Doing Time 3CR and we're nearing the end of our show. Wanted to thank our guests. Um, First of all, thanking Chris Breen from the Refugee Action Collective for coming onto the show. And then also thank you to Marianne McKay. She was busy juggling kids and driving in a remote part of Western Australia to bring her father his work boots. It's a crazy day today, but, you know, we all get caught up, isn't it? And But she was able to, to say a few words about youth detention and the class action that's going on at the moment in terms of the treatment in detention. And that was something that I really wanted to talk about today. So thanks so much for that. And, yeah, this is um, stage four lockdown. The pandemic is still going on and there are still lots and lots of problems in regards to not just refugees but also homeless people. And, you know, a lot of people have been affected by this pandemic. Um, It's approximately 4.54. We've got about three minutes left before I'm out of here. And just to remind people that for Radiothon that it's not too late to donate. Um, we haven't yet reached our target. We're up to $740 for the Doing Time show. Our target is $850. So we still have $110 left. Thank you so much and stay safe, everybody, and tune in every every Monday from 4 to 5 for the Doing Time show. And we're going to be going out with our theme song now, Blackfella, Whitefella from the Rumpy Band. And keep up the good work, everybody, and look after each other. And it's goodbye from Marissa. Bye.
You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.